So we are in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. As I said, the theme it says the Christian's new home. Now, on the 1st of February this year, this month, uh, five-year-old Ryan Oram uh, was playing outside his village home in Morocco. Uh, his father was working nearby. And then suddenly, Ryan disappears. Uh, this, the family starts searching frantically for him. And then as they are searching, they noticed a little, you know, small footprints. And they start following these small footprints. And uh, the footprints lead them to a dry water well. And then they listen closely. They call out to him and they hear his voice down under the well. It is dark in the well. And so they, what the family does is they get a torch and they get a camera phone and they put it down there uh, just to make sure that he's okay down in that dark pit. And of course they confirm that Ryan is fine. But now there's a big problem. Uh, the water well is 45 centimeters wide. That's how small it is, wide. But it is 32 meters deep. So how are they going to get him out of this dark pit? Well, soon they call on the government and uh, the rescue team arrives. The heavy machinery is brought. And of course, they start sending food down this dark pit. There's water being sent. There's oxygen, of course, for him to breathe. And of course, the rescue team then starts digging. They are digging. How are they going to get him out? They're going to dig very carefully, uh, holding the integrity of the hole. And while constantly monitoring Ryan's condition down there. And so, on the 4th of February, the diggers finally reach the boy. They carefully extract the boy, they remove him. And as he's coming out, there is jubilation outside. The internet goes wild. And of course, the boy is finally free. But a few minutes later, the Moroccan government issues a statement. Yes, we got Ryan out, but he did not survive the rescue. He has died. In fact, it's unclear whether he had already died just a few minutes or he died just as he was being lifted out. The momentary joy you see of rescuing Ryan from the well now turns into a Harsh reality for the nation and for the family. Their lovely boy was safely removed, but he's not coming back. He's dead. Now, last week, we started looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. And in these verses, Paul is concluding the prayer of verse 9 to verse 12. You remember that he has been praying for the Colossians to grow, to be like Jesus, to live a life worthy of him. And he's also praying that they would persevere in their faith with joy and patience. And what's the key to, doing, to having this? Well, the key to all of this, to having a joyful and patient endurance, is to be thankful to God. That's at the heart of Paul's prayer. Paul wants the Colossians to not only grow, well, he wants them to not only grow to be like Christ, but to grow to be like that with endurance and patience and joy. 
And the key to that is gratitude to God in every circumstance. And so we looked at verse 11 to 12, which says, May you be strengthened with all power and according to his glorious might. For all patience, for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The key there is giving thanks to the Father. That's what Paul wants them to do. Now in verse 13 to 14, Paul expands on this on what they should give thanks to God for. So let's read verse 13 to 14. What what should they give thanks for? Well, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we said last week that Paul here is giving us two reasons Why we have every reason to give thanks to God in every situation. The first reason is that God has removed us from the dark pit of darkness which held us captive. We are now free from the power of darkness. Every follower of Jesus is free from the power of darkness. All of humanity is like Ryan when he was stuck at the bottom of that dry well. People are under the power, not of physical darkness, but they are under the power of spiritual darkness with no way out. And we said last week that the power of darkness that enslaves humanity is fourfold, isn't it? First of all, it is the dark power of sin. Every human being is born enslaved to their sin. They can't stop sinning. It's a dark power of sin. Secondly, it's the dark power of death. Sin has cut us off from the life of God. As a result, we all live under eternal and spiritual death. And of course, we live under physical death because it is a fruit of our spiritual death. So the dark power of death. Thirdly, it's the dark power of Satan. We said all human beings enter life as children of the devil. We are all by nature devil worshippers. Sin is the worship we give to Satan. So it's the dark power of Satan. Finally, it's the dark power of the eternal punishment of God. Every person is under the wrath and judgment of God for our sin. We are all born in this world bound for hell forever. So simply put, our life in this world, as we looked at last week, is very dark indeed. We are helpless and hopeless, like Ryan in that dark well. Wow, horror and pain as I thought about that. That boy must have felt. And that's the nature of the human condition spiritually. That is us. But the first piece of good news of verse 13 to 14 is that God in Christ has come as a successful rescue agent to deliver us from the pit of darkness. And God did this by the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That brought full pardon, full forgiveness of sin and purchased our freedom from a life of darkness. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, rescue, Purchase the forgiveness of sins. 
So that's the first piece of good news. Successful rescue. And we looked at that last Sunday, isn't it? The sermon last Sunday was the Christian's safety from darkness. Today I want to focus on the second piece of good news. And it's really concentrating on the words in verse 13. The second piece of good news is that all true followers of Christ have a new home in the wonderful kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our rescue from the pit of darkness is not like Ryan's failed rescue, really. God has successfully rescued us from the pit of darkness and has brought us home. It's our homecoming. He has brought us home into the wonderful kingdom of Christ. And so this morning, I just want to share two reasons Paul gives us here um, in this passage. Why the kingdom of Christ is such a wonderful home for us to live in. Of course, we'll be here the whole day. I mean, we'll spend eternity understanding, you know, living out this truth. But I just want to share two things from this passage on why our home in Christ is such a wonderful home for us to live in. The first reason in our outline is that the kingdom of Christ is a divine kingdom. The kingdom of Christ is a divine kingdom. All followers of Jesus now belong to a kingdom that is owned by God, ruled by God the Son. We are now home with God himself in the kingdom of Christ. That's what verse 13 is getting at. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. The beloved son is Christ, of course, isn't it? Because of Colossians 1 verse 3, which says we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 13, Paul is saying God the Father has transferred us into a kingdom of God the Son. And we know Jesus is fully God because of verse 15 to verse 23, isn't it? And especially verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus is fully God. The kingdom of Christ, therefore, is a divine kingdom. It is the kingdom of God himself. We have moved, if you like, from living under defeated and chaotic powers of darkness to living in the wonderful, organized kingdom ruled by God himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That's amazing. To live under God. To be ruled by God himself. What does that mean for us every day? Well, as I said, again, we spend eternity experiencing the riches of this truth. But there are two things immediately that flows from that. First, because we are now in the divine kingdom, we are always safe in Christ, regardless of all that the world throws at us. Christ, our God, is now our powerful and present protector. Psalm 46 is our refuge and strength. Psalm 121 is our sleepless guardian. The Lord is my keeper. God is our powerful protector in Christ. We, have all, we all have our fears, don't we, as, as, as a country and as individuals. 
As a country, over the last two years, we've been terrified of COVID. That has been our fear. Let's just admit that, right? And that fear may be for good reason. But it's not just COVID. We have fears of the the so-called climate change chaos that came before COVID and is returned. There are economic fears of rising prices now. Prices are skyrocketing and people are worried for their jobs and for just their livelihoods. There are technological fears of a potentially new major cyber attack that may shake the world in the future. That's what all the experts are talking about. Now, that's the next threat the world faces. There are security fears of a possible World War III over the standoff in Ukraine. Over the standoff over Taiwan. There are many such dangers. There are fears over the standoff over Iran and this pursuit of a nuclear weapon. So there are many threats we face as a country. And of course, as individuals, we have many things that rob us of sleep at night. We fear for our marriages. We fear for our kids. We fear for our finances. We fear, we fear for the health of our loved ones. We fear for our kids. Well, we fear for we fear our own health, and we, well, sometimes we fear our kids. But <laughs> but uh, we fear losing control, don't we? Well, we have many sources of fear in life. Many of them. And the question, therefore, is how do we live in a world with so much against us? Well, the answer is by remembering this truth, isn't it? If you are truly trusting in Christ, though, if you're truly trusting in Christ, you are now in the divine kingdom. Your life, as we'll look at in chapter 3 later, your life is hidden in Christ. You are safely hidden in God, in Christ, and Christ is in God. Yes, you're still on earth, but your ultimate protection in this life, in life, is not earthly anymore. You are now a new citizen of a divine kingdom that cannot be shaken. You know, in the film, uh, Safe House, uh, played by Denzel Washington, who plays this CIA agent uh, called Tobin Frost. Uh, and if you've seen that film, the challenge of the film is that, you know, it, it cannot be kept safe no matter how many safe houses he goes to. And he himself is very clever. But the whole challenge of it is how do you keep the CIA agent safe? And of course, what we see in the end, isn't it, is that Tobin Frost has to fight his way to freedom, really. Because no one else can keep himself. And the message of the film, of course, is that in this life, no one can really keep us safe. We must depend on our own power to keep ourselves safe. That's the message of the world. But if you're trusting in Christ, that is not your life. If you are in Christ, you have no Tobin Frost problems. Christ, our God, is king. Is our king. He's a divine king. And he's greater than anything we will ever face in life. And so you and I, as we sit here this morning, with all the challenges we're facing, we don't have to dig deep into our own resources 
right, to face our fears in this world. Because we are already safe in the powerful arms of our king. Now, of course, this doesn't mean we will not face any trouble in this world. It means that whatever we experience in this life, our divine king is watching over us. And nothing ever happens with us without Christ permitting it. He never lets anything touch us unless he knows it is for our good and for his glory. And so your life in Christ, if you're really trusting Christ, is truly wonderful. It is the most secure, the most safe life in the whole world. Your king always has your back. So you don't need to live in fear and trembling. There is no need for us to stay up late at night worrying about the mistakes we have made in the past or the difficult challenges of today or the the fears of the future. Beloved, you are in the divine kingdom of Christ. So rest assured in his divine protection and not in your fears. The Lord our God is a son and shield. That's what Brother Ola reminds us in this sermon from Psalm 84. The Lord our God is a sun and shield. So instead of giving into our fears, start thanking Christ for bringing you into his kingdom and for his promise that you are forever safe in his hands. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So that's the first direct implication, isn't it? We must rest in his divine protection, not in our fears. The second implication of this truth, that we are living in the divine kingdom, is that because you now belong to the divine kingdom of Christ, it means you have all the resources and benefits of the divine kingdom. Not just his protection, but all the resources and benefits within that kingdom. You know, when a person becomes a resident in the UK, they, they get rights and benefits that tourists don't. You know, some people might contend that. It seems like everyone has benefits, right? But, but I'm sure there are things that a person who's uh, um, just arrived cannot do. You know, we work, we vote, we work freely, we vote. And we sort of freely use the NHS. Now, now you might say the NHS is not free. Of course, we fund it by national insurance. But you get the idea. There's some benefits we enjoy for being British or just being permanent residents here that other people don't. Well, in a similar way, as true citizens of the divine kingdom of Christ, we now have access to all his spiritual resources and blessings of our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our king is looking after us 24 hours, seven days a week. We have access to his wisdom, his strength, his power, his generosity. In every difficult situation, no matter what we are facing, we are home with God in Christ. And what this means is that in whatever situation you're in today, you must rely on the divine power and provision of Christ not in yourself. Christ has not delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved. Well, 
I'm getting the Trinity up all mixed up here. God has not delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son for you to rely on yourself. He's done it so that you can depend on him. You know, imagine if the queen said to you, right, please leave your house and come and now live with me at Buckingham Palace, right? Imagine if she said that. What would you say? I know what Brother Rob would say. No thanks. <laughs> right? <laughs> no thanks. Some of us would say no thanks, wouldn't we? We would not want to sit and have dinner with uh, Prince Charlie and other interesting members of the work family, as it were. Uh, that, would, that wouldn't appeal to us. However, but suppose it's just life with the queen and our servants, right? You don't have to pretend to be work with Harry and Meg. You can just sit down with the queen, right? Well, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? To be looked after by the queen. To be looked forever, well, for as long as she's around, right? Now, <laughs> which is unclear. That would bring to us so much comfort, wouldn't it? Knowing that the queen has guaranteed herself to care for us. And would it not be foolish then to live in Buckingham Palace, have your phone on you with that Uber app, right there, Uber Eats app, and while you're in Buckingham Palace, constantly dialing Uber for food. Right? You, you are there and you're constantly Ubering things. Right? That would be silly, isn't it? Why waste your credit cards and your money while you are living with the queen? To rely on your own provision within our riches? But beloved, that's what we do. Our king, Christ, is greater and more generous than the queen. Because he is God. And we are in his divine kingdom and he's lavishly providing for us. So why then do we foolishly insist on caring for ourselves at every turn? Why do we doubt him? Let us rely on his divine provision. Not in ourselves. Because Christ is a generous king. He has brought us in the divine kingdom to rely on his protection and on his provision. Let us do that. You know, maybe you are this morning a single parent doing the job of two people, a husband and a wife. The natural reaction in such a circumstance is panic and even anger, isn't it? But because you are now living in the divine kingdom of Christ. Beloved, you may be a single parent, but you're not parenting alone. Your king is with you. Of course, it's very hard to keep all the balls in the air. Your king knows that. And he's already at work to provide you all the wisdom and strength that you need. And so when unexpected storms come, remember your postcode. Not your physical postcode. Remember you are living in a new spiritual postcode in the divine kingdom of Christ. So do not rely on yourself. Rely on your king and ask him to send his promised help. Isn't that pilgrim's progress? Help is always on the way. And when you have moments when like all of us, you feel tempted to, by the circumstances of life, to wallow in self-pity. 
Oh, why should the child of God wallow in self-pity? How can we wallow in self-pity when we've been brought to such a gracious kingdom, a divine kingdom? In those moments when you're tempted to despair and fall into self-pity, remind yourself this truth. The kingdom of Christ is a divine kingdom and you are protected and provided for in Christ. Do not look to your circumstances. They are momentary. Look to the truth of this passage. You are living under Christ. You are in his divine kingdom. That is the first reason the kingdom of Christ is a wonderful kingdom to live in. A second and final reason is, is there in your outline. The kingdom of Christ is a loving kingdom. It's not just a divine kingdom. It is a loving kingdom. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You know, a couple of years ago, I read a new story about an Australian couple. This Australian couple had uh, paid a Thai surrogate to carry twins, right? Now, when the babies arrived, the couple, the Australian couple, decided to only accept the girl who was healthy. They decided to reject the twin brother who had Down syndrome. So they paid for two. They said, no, we're just going to take the healthy baby. What a horrible thing to do. And it happens very often. At the time it happened, it sparked a global campaign for the surrogate and the rejected baby. Now you might say just Australia. I mean, crazy things go on in Australia. But it happens everywhere. Whether as we think about that horrible story, is it not comforting that our true God is not like the Australian couple? Because Paul says here in verse 13 that God has transferred us, worthless sinners, unworthy sinners, vile creatures. He has transferred us while we were dead in our sins to the kingdom of his beloved son or the son he loves. That's how we could translate that. The son he loves. Now, for the sake of time, I take it for granted that we're all familiar with the Bible's teaching that God is Trinity, right? God is three persons in one essence. God exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each of the three persons of the Trinity are fully God in their own independent right as it were. But crucially, the three persons are not three separate gods. They are one essence. And that is to say, in the Bible, one plus one plus one is one, not three. That's essentially the doctrine of the Trinity. And what Paul is saying here, though, is this. God the Father, the first member of the Trinity, has delivered followers of Christ, whilst we were dead in our sin, while we were at the bottom of the dark well of spiritual darkness, he has delivered us, he has transferred us from that 
and given us as a loving gift, okay, to God the Son to rule over us. And by the way, something amazing is going to happen at the end of time because the Son will give us as a gift to the Father. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question. What sort of gift would God give himself? What sort of loving present would the Father give the Son he loves? And the answer of this passage is that it is you and I in Christ. And that is a shocking truth, isn't it? Because you and I are worthless sinners in of ourselves. There is nothing lovely about us. And yet God, by his grace, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And he saved us by Christ to give us as a loving gift to Christ, his son. Now, if that is not enough to give you meaning and purpose in life, in whatever situation you're in, then, beloved, I don't know what will. I don't know what will give you meaning and purpose. If that does not move you to recognize just how much we are loved by God in Christ, more than we can ever know. The Father loves you so much that he has presented you as a gift to his Son. He has transferred you to the kingdom of the Son he loves. This truth should alone change our attitude in every situation. Maybe you are currently in a very difficult job. A difficult job. A a deeply unsatisfying job. You often feel exhausted, discouraged. Or even bored with your work. But then you read verse 13. He has delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of the son he loves. He has handed me over as a loving gift to his son. Well, it changes everything, doesn't it? You now realize your true worth in life is not in your job. It is that you are a gift from God to God. You don't need to look to your job for lasting fulfillment. Your job may give you a sense of dignity, but it does not define your worth in life. Your true worth is that God from eternity past chose you to deliver you from darkness and to give you as a gift to his beloved son. You already have a life of honor and privilege and blessing in Christ. And that should give you meaning to everything you do at work, not the job itself. And this applies to all of us, you know, just those who are in difficult jobs. Grandparents doing the hard work of grandparenting. Single parents. All of us who are going through suffering, whatever we may be experiencing. It is this truth that we have a gift from God to God, delivered from darkness by the Father to the Son. But you know what? There is an even deeper point Paul is making. 
Paul is saying that God has drawn us into a loving relationship between the Father and the Son. He has delivered us, that is God the Father, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son he loved, his beloved Son. That is to say, we are now living in a kingdom that is founded on the love of the Holy Trinity. This is a loving kingdom. Founded on the Trinitarian love of God. Our king is the king of love. And all followers of Jesus are basking and sharing in this Trinitarian love. And this love of God is full of compassion, pity, mercy, and tenderness. It is a love that is not dependent on us in any way. It is free and unconditional. The love of God is the reason why God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 6 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Why did you do it? Well, Paul goes on to say, in love he predestined us for adoptions of son through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It is his love that chose us before the ages began. The love of God is the reason God sent his own son in the fullness of time to die on that cross for our sins and bring us home. That is John 3 verse 16, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The love of God is the reason God the Holy Spirit convicted us of our sins and enabled us to repent and trust in Jesus. Paul writing to the church at Rome says this, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called, and I think it means called by the gospel, to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 to 6, Paul says this, but God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The love of God is is what is nourishing and cherishing us in the kingdom of Christ. Paul borrowing that image in Ephesians 5, 29 to 30 of Christ with his bride, the husband and the wife says this. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Christ nourishes us, cherishes us with his love. Every day we are swimming in this amazing love of God. Oh, Christ is not a distant king. He's close, warm, tender.
tender and protective of his own. His love for those who belong to his kingdom is intense and personal. We are not just lovingly owned by our king. We are lovingly united with him. He is lovingly keeping us in his embrace. He is cherishing us, nourishing us each day with his love. You know, everyone wants to be loved, don't they? They want to be cared for. I know I do, right? I'm sure you do as well. But Paul is reminding us here, isn't it? That we belong to a kingdom founded on love. And we are swimming in the love of God. We are like a piece of cloth, aren't we? That is submerged in water. We are totally soaked, as it were, in the bathtub of God's love. Now, someone here may say, look, Chola, I hear what you're saying. That I'm swimming in the love of God. But if I'm being honest, with the week I've had, I don't feel like I'm swimming in the love of God. In fact, to be honest, I'm finding it hard to even be excited by this truth. I'm drowned with so many problems in my life. I'm struggling for peace. Oh, beloved, it is normal for us to feel like that in this fallen world. Especially when we're going through suffering or challenges. But when I feel like that, and I felt like that lately, I have found the words of the martyr John Bradford very helpful. He says this, Faith must go before us, then feeling will follow. Faith must go before us, then feeling will follow. Though you do not feel as you would like, says John Bradford, do not doubt. Hope beyond hope, as Abraham did. Do you get that? The issue is not what we feel. Our feelings are transitory. But what we truly believe in our hearts. Do you believe that you are living in the loving kingdom of Christ? Do you believe that or not? That's the question. Whether this truth warms our hearts or not, we must trust this truth because it is a living word of God. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son he loves. We must bring our feelings in subjection to the word of God. Trust his divine truth, not your feelings. And as you keep trusting in his love for you, little by little, you will grow to experience the comfort and encouragement of his love every day. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, but I believe you look back in time to say, the Savior has led me all the way, and I've known his comfort and love. So then, to summarize, what have we learned? Well, the second lesson, the second lesson Paul wants us to take away from verse 13 to 14 is this. Last week, we looked at the first lesson, didn't we? And that we are safe in Christ. Well, the second lesson we looked at this morning is that if you're a follower of Christ, you are now home with Christ. You are now living in the wonderful kingdom of Christ. It is wonderful because it is a divine kingdom. God himself is now your king in Christ. It is wonderful because it's a kingdom founded on love. We are a gift of love from the Father to the Son. And we are swimming in his love. And we have this wonderful kingdom, don't we? Because of verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness 
of sins. Our great King died on that cross to free us from darkness and give us full pardon of sin. The death of Christ turned the very wrath of God into our favor. God has now welcomed us into his divine and loving kingdom. The kingdom of the Son he loves. And because we are now home with God in Christ, we must keep on growing in Christ. That's what we've been learning. We must keep on enduring with joy and patience, with gratitude to God. You know, there are many good things in this life we can give thanks to God for. We can thank to God for each other, isn't it? The fact that the Lord has brought us here this morning. We can thank to God that we are alive today, others are dead. We can thank to God that we are raised by very good parents. That our family has loved and cared for us. I thank God for my niece here today. There are many things we thank God for. We thank God for living in this country despite the messed up politics we have. But all of these things, beloved, all of these blessings we have, pale in comparison to the wonderful new home we have in Christ. We are in the divine and loving kingdom of Christ our Lord. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Well, may the Lord help us to keep thanking him for his blessings in Christ. Amen.